Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Everybody needs a Bible, so if I could get a couple of rambunctious volunteers to hand out the hardback that we've got. Throw a hand up if you need a copy of God's Word. We're going to be in John chapter 10. If you are uh, receiving one of those hardback black Bibles, go to page 892, and that'll get you there, page 892. Everybody get to John chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 22. If you're new to the Bible and, and you don't have one of those, that's the fourth book of the New Testament. So your table of contents will say Old and New Testament. Under New Testament, the fourth book down is John. How could you possibly be upset with Mr. Rogers? This is what we've got to establish first. Like all good Bible teaching, we start with Mr. Rogers. All right, now, so just so I know if I'm hitting my audience or not, there really are two ways to be exposed to Mr. Rogers, so I'm going to ask for a composite answer. I'm going to ask you to put your hand up. If you grew up watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or you raised children and they watched it, so you were exposed. Anybody, if you're in one of, or both of those two groups, is that, what is it, half of us? Okay, a little more than half? Okay. Again, preachers struggle with illustrations because you think something is ubiquitous. Like, I will casually reference the Princess Bride and then I'll get somebody who gives me a blank stare and I'm like, you communist, how come you haven't memorized that movie like the rest of us, you know? Um, just because you think something is everywhere doesn't mean it actually is. So, okay, so a little over half of us are, are familiar with Mr. Rogers. But here's the only point I'm going to make about Mr. Rogers, the, the, the namesake of the sermon's title, and then we're going to move on. He's a nice guy. He's a really, really nice guy. Everybody loves him. He's great with kids. How could you be angry with Mr. Rogers? That's, my, that's the idea. That's the central point. The text we're finding ourselves in today is people are about to kill Jesus. Jesus. Not Charles Manson, right? Jesus. And he actually asks them, and I, and I didn't know if it was snark. I don't think it's snark. It sounds snarky to me. When I get to heaven, I'm going to find out what Jesus' real sense of humor is, and I can't wait. It sounds like it could be snarky, but I think he's, I think he's being, he might be, be very frank. He's, he's going to say in our text today, I have done many signs. I've done many good things in my Father's name. For which one are you going to kill me? Is that intense? Is that a fair question? For which good deed? In the chapter before this, he, he takes a man who cannot see, and he heals him so he can see. Which deed are, good deed are you killing me for? Okay? So this is going to be our central question today. How on earth could you be upset at somebody whose deeds are so good and positive and are an inerrant blessing for the world? This is our title and text for today. Go ahead and... Uh, read along with me. We're going to do verses 22 all the way to the end of the chapter at 42. It was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple, walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Can, can we all see the irony? Did anybody chuckle? If you've read chapter 9, he just healed a blind man. And they're coming to him like, come on, are, are, you, the, are you the savior of the world or not? It could, it, it could be frustrating if you think about it a bit. Tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I have already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my father's name. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Big claim? Oh, my goodness gracious. That's a big deal. He's either crazy or it's true. No one can snatch them away from me. What? That's a big deal. For my Father has given them to me. 
and he is more powerful than anyone else. Was was that a ref, was he just saying his father was Yahweh? He's in a Jewish culture. He says more powerful than anyone else. Who can he be talking about except Yahweh, right? And it just said he's my father. Okay. No one can snatch them from the father's hand. The father and I are one. And in case you're wondering whether the disciples of Jesus, 40 years later, decided to make up a religion, let's ask ourselves, well, let me back it up. Let me back it up. If a Republican does something, do you guys trust Democrats to find fault in it? Say yes. If a Democrat does something, do you trust Republicans to be able to find fault in it? Say yes. You can trust the enemy of somebody 100% of the time. It's like the great Captain Jack Sparrow said. Yeah, three of you are with me. A dishonest man you can trust to be dishonest. It's the honest ones you have to worry about. Okay? You can trust the enemies of somebody. He says, I and the Father are one. And I learned at Sac State, where I was getting my education, that the, the apostles made up a religion after the fact to get rich and to get women and to be famous. That's what I'm told in the 21st century education system. So let me look at Jesus' enemies to see what they think about what Jesus said, whether there was a misunderstanding. <clears throat> Let's see, what verse was I at? Oh, yes, verse 30, the Father and I are one. Let's see if his enemies understood what Jesus was saying. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. I heard two things there. One, they knew exactly what he meant. That was a claim to deity. Second, once again... You should come follow Jesus. It's the greatest thing ever. He almost got killed this morning. He almost got killed. Yeah, man, that was, it was way closer than last time. Last time? This is a regular occurrence? Yeah. And yet the prince of the power of the air, 21 centuries, would have you and I all believing that this somehow can be done comfortably without risk and without price paid. Jesus said, at my father's direction I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? They replied, we're stoning you not for any good works, but for blasphemy. Okay, so blasphemy not only is not a work, it's speech. We're talking about your words here, Jesus. And in a Jewish context, it's really clear. You're claiming to be God when you're not. Okay, this is, blas this is their definition of blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. So do they think they know something that Jesus doesn't know? Jesus doesn't know he's a mere mortal, but they do. Anybody here ever sinned because you were just a little bit smarter than God? Oh, dang it, I'm the only one. In fact, I want to say most of my sins come from thinking, you know, God, I know you said thus and such, but I'm pretty slick, man. I, I, I've got, you know, I'm smart. I went to private school most of the time. You know, I, I almost got good grades. I'm pretty smart, God. I know you said this, but just testimony time here. I know you guys don't do that, but I do. God, I know you said this, but... God in the flesh just says, I've told you I am Messiah. And they're like, that's blasphemy, because we know you're a mere mortal. And they're going to feel like they're right after he goes to his cross. When do they get the chance to feel wrong? Yeah, Easter. It's not a cute time for a dress. It's way bigger than that. Okay. And it's California, so everybody gets to wear a dress now. Anyway, uh, blasphemy, mere more mortal. Verse 34. Verse 34, no one's going to judge you. You just got to figure out your identity with the Lord. Jesus replied, it is written in your own scriptures that God said to certain leaders of the people, 
I say you are God's. And you know that the scriptures cannot be altered. So if those people who received God's message were called God's, why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the son of God? After all, the father set me apart and sent me into the world. You don't believe me unless I carry out my, don't believe me unless I carry out my father's work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done. Even if you don't believe me, then you will know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Let me break it down. You guys are focused on titles and let me remind you, I talked about my works. You guys need to get your eyes back on what I've done. My works, my works, my works. Once again, they tried to arrest him, but he got away and left them. He went beyond the Jordan River near the place where John was, first baptizing and stayed there a while. And many followed him. John didn't perform miraculous signs, they remarked to one another. But everything he said about this man has come true. And many who were there believed in Jesus. Oh, don't, don't you want them to say that at your funeral? She didn't perform any miracles, but everything she said about Jesus proved to be true. Her testimony was a blessing to me. And that's the testimony of John the Baptist's life. Holy Spirit, please teach us the word of God today in an effective way that transforms the heart and the mind and our behavior for the glory of Father to make Jesus famous in our city, in our world, in our own hearts, God. Make worshipers out of us today. God, transform us so that this morning is not wasted. Transform us, Lord. Do not let us walk away the same. We ask this for your glory. We ask this for our joy. We ask for the, this for the blessing of all peoples who do not yet know you. In the powerful name of Christ we pray and God's people said, amen. Note takers, you've only got two fill in the blanks today. Regulars know not to be deceived. This does not mean Pastor Greg's done in eight minutes. First, put your faith in Jesus because of what he does. Put your faith in Jesus. Did everybody get a bulletin who wanted one? Everybody get a bulletin who wanted one? You got your sermon notes in there. Okay. Put your faith in Jesus because of what he does. This could have been a one-point sermon. This is the center of the text, and you guys already know that because we just read it. Look at my works. Look at my works. Look at my works. Look at my works. So... What are the different things that might come into your mind when you're a little, two or three, and dad or mom or auntie or uncle or grandma or grandpa is in the water? They are in three and a half feet of water. I know it says five there. Don't criticize. You're in three and a half feet of water, which to auntie or uncle is no big deal, and they know it's no big deal. But you're two or three years old, and you have no confidence. Can we agree that when you're little, you don't know the difference between three and a half feet of water or a hundred? You don't know. You don't know what you don't know, okay? But you are being called into the water by a loving, caring adult that you know and you have trust with. I'm going to give you about a minute and a half, 90 seconds. Go ahead and talk with people near you. If you've got COVID, you shouldn't be here anyway. Go ahead and talk with your friends about what are all the different factors that might go through a child's mind as they consider whether or not to jump. Go ahead and talk with each other.
All right, Helzermans, tell me one or two of your answers. What do you think? What are some of the things in that child's mind? Whether or not you can trust the person in the pool. Yeah. What? Fear. Fear is coming into account, right? Can we agree there's probably there's a pros and cons scale in this little child's heart? Renault, talk to me. Yeah, then maybe there's an excitement. Is that going to be a little bit dependent on the personality of the child, the degree to which they trust the adult? What else? What else is in this child's mind and heart? I'm going to get water in my eyes. Maybe there's a particular concern. Yeah, Mike. I said it's a loving, caring adult that they know. Yeah, if it's a total stranger, we have a problem. Yeah, so the relationship. So that's another way of saying it. There's a trusting, connected relationship. That's going to be a big deal. Oh, they've told you previously not to jump in the water, right? Are, are kids struggling with the accidental contradictions we've handed them? Terrified of, stay away from the water, stay away from the water. Here, jump in the water. <laughs> and for us, it's totally different because I'm in the water and I'm going to keep you safe. We understand that. But the kid, the, yeah. Mom said, yeah, right? Mom's not looking. Jump, come on. <laughs> yeah, that's never happened. <laughs> Anything else going on in this child's mind or heart? Yeah. So that person's hands being out. Now this kid's already made his decision. He's airborne. And that could be a whole sermon unto itself. The joy on his face and the joy in his father's face are very tied to the fact that he's already made his decision, okay? What do kids' faces look like before? That's when there's fear, concern, I'm not sure. My countenance says one thing, but when I've made the decision and I've given myself over fully, right? This is faith. Absolutely. That water's not going to save him, right? He's looking at his dad. Absolutely. A little smile on his face. Adorable. Now, what if I told you this little boy was the youngest of four? What other evidence might this little boy have going through his mind if he had three older siblings? Yeah, my other siblings are alive. He might have seen an older sibling jump to dad just seven seconds ago. They might be all at the pool together. And the other siblings exhibit trust in their dad's ability, desire, strength to catch and to take safely somewhere else. If they, or if they know how to swim, they just wanted to be caught by dad anyway, or maybe they're too big for that now. If you've got older siblings, you've got evidence, right? Right now in front of me, evidence. Can anybody agree it helps your faith sometimes a little bit to see it right in front of your eyes? Jesus is making a claim. Like we know from the New Testament, if you've studied the New Testament at all, and it's also been in this gospel, blessed are those who do not see and yet still believe. But Jesus is saying here, I've given you good works at the direction of my father so that you might believe. This would be akin to saying, I want you to jump. I want you to trust. I just caught your big sister. I caught your other brother. I caught your other sister. You just saw the whole thing. I'm going to catch you. You're half their size. I'm, I'm strong enough to catch you too. And that's Jesus' central plea right now. Not to necessarily um, nice people that are breaking alabaster jars and worshiping at his feet. He's pleading to those who are trying to kill him. Those of you who are Christians, you know Jesus just doesn't love the good people, right? 
you know, he doesn't just love somebody who's already had a change of heart, right? He loves us and his love and grace create a change of heart. Yeah, there's a song, if you had the grace of growing up in Sunday school. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. He is pleading with those who are trying to kill him. He didn't go to the synagogue and find all the good rule followers who are really nice and take care of the poor and say, hey, you guys are all invited into my kingdom. He went to the terrorists in religious garb and said, you're invited into my kingdom. Let's put this principle to work. If you're new, here's a way you can put this principle to work. Study Jesus' miracles. And secondly, accordingly, trust him to be your Messiah. I know I'm using ancient Jewish language here. The center of your existence, the savior of the world, sent by God to wash away your sins and mine. And nothing less. This is the call of the text to you if you're investigating the faith. Study Jesus' miracles. The quickest way you're going to find them is in four books named Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that are stories of Jesus' life. There are other places in other ways, but those are the fastest and simplest. And this is what Jesus is saying to you today, right now. Take a look at my miracles because they are designed to create faith inside you so that you will jump. That's what the works of Jesus are for. You want that joy on your face? It's going to come from something that's very scary at first. When I do not trust you, I don't even know if you are my father. That's the deeper spiritual reality. You want to talk about metaphors being utterly insufficient? In the spiritual realms, in the heavenlies, he adopts me and makes himself my father, and that's why I trust him, and that's why I jump. He adopted me right before I jumped. If you're investigating the Christian faith, Jesus is calling to you right now. Take a close look at what I have done. Did I use my power to bless or to curse? Because if I cursed others, go ahead and join in with the Jewish religious elite from earlier and accuse me of being a demon. Here in the 21st century, we tend to be a part of the enlightenment where we deny the spiritual altogether. We just say, oh, that story got messed up after the fact. And we find ourselves in this, painting ourselves into this philosophical corner where we don't have good or evil anymore. And there are things happening around us that are inherently good, and we don't know what to call them. And we have things happening around us that are inherently evil, but we don't know what to call them. Because we're supposed to say that, well, what's good for you is good, and what's bad for you is fine. All this moral relativism. But when I feel like something's desperately wicked, what am I supposed to call it? The spirit of the age is not helping us. And if you're investigating faith, if you have ever felt the, the yearning to call something inherently good and beautiful or inherently wicked and evil, that's terrible. That should not happen. I want to submit to you Christianity offers the most comprehensive worldview offered on planet Earth. It allows good to be good. It allows evil to be evil. And in the midst of finding out that I have sinned against a righteous and holy God, in the very next breath, this God offers me mercy through the cross of Christ. So I don't have to be terrified of finding out that I'm a sinner. Be crushed under the weight of it. You're a sinner. Go be good. That's not good news. You're a sinner. You're broken. Go, go try harder. That's not good news. To those of you who've already decided Jesus is the Savior of the world and you've submitted your life to him, this is how the text calls to you. Look at Jesus' miracles and trust him to be enough for you in your current struggle. In your current struggle. Or let me break it down this way. He took a blind man and made it so he could see. I'm pretty sure he can fix my finances. Right? If you were in the courtroom of heaven with the almighty God in front of you and he asked you, hey, which one's a bigger deal, giving sight to a blind man or solving your current financial situation? 
you'd have to be honest, wouldn't you? Or, he raised a little girl who was dead to life. Can he fix my marriage? I'm a Christian. We're not supposed to be even thinking about divorce, but we don't see another way out. Is he powerful enough? Is he strong enough? What do we do? Brothers and sisters, we still look to the works of Jesus Christ. And we go, God, it just doesn't make sense. I feel no hope in this situation at all. But you raise the dead. Right? And when we say things to Jesus that he already knows, he's not gaining information. He's just like, man, I'm so glad you've come to see that. My daughter, my son, I'm so glad you put your eyes back on me. Can we, can we agree, those of us who are Christians, it can feel very trite and even hurtful when we're in the middle of pain and somebody says, oh, just look to Jesus. You know what makes something trite? Um, it's true. It's true in the moment. Just, it doesn't always feel helpful. Right? And this is me, man. This is the pot calling the kettle black, right? Growing in, in empathy. We've got to find a way to say things that are true to each other in the right time, in the right, right way, that it is not just packaged up in love, but wrapped and coded in love. If I can recognize that, anybody can. I'm terrible at this. Is Jesus strong enough for you right now in a current struggle where you may see no way out? Is he strong enough? I, I hate to spoil the ending, but we're going to get to the end of this book, John, and Jesus is going to raise himself from the dead. That is supposed to be the point where we go, oh, he's big enough. Brothers and sisters, the only reason we are tempted to think that Jesus isn't big enough is because we took our eyes off him a while ago. I closed this book because Netflix was more entertaining. And I have no idea how big my God is because I haven't looked at him in weeks. Our salvation is right in front of us. And he loves us so, so much that although he's standing right there in front of us wanting to bless, wanting to give life where there is death, wanting to heal where there is sickness, he sent us the prophets to shout at us from time to time. I don't know if you guys have read the minor prophets. They're very rarely telling the people of God something new. They're saying, hey, remember that covenant? The one that you've been betraying like this and this and this and this. And we stop reading the, the prophets, right? This is a bummer. They're sinning. Zeus, Zeus would just throw a lightning bolt at you. Yahweh, he loves you enough to tell you that you've forgotten the covenant and he calls you back. He calls you back. Yahweh could zap you and instead he sends his son to die for you. Different category. Different category. Second, people in Jesus' day were either going to trust Jesus or kill him. You and I do both. Our brother in Christ, Rembrandt, painted a picture some four or five hundred years ago of them taking Jesus' body down from the cross on Good Friday. This is just a fun historical tidbit, but it's great theology, in case you guys don't know. Uh, I had the privilege of going to a Christian high school, so they made a big deal of this. And a regular high school might not. The man in blue on the left, who knows who that is? No. Biblically, you're, you're, you're guessing in the good direction. That is Rembrandt, the artist. If you look very closely, you'll see clothing that actually fits the Renaissance quite well. It doesn't make sense that somebody is dressed for the Renaissance, you know, 1,600 years before, you know. He's saying, I was a part of this. I was a part of this. 
And he's not moping and wallowing in self-pity. He has been redeemed by Jesus Christ. He knows that he is loved by the God that he killed. He's just got great theology. Uh, Anybody here see the Passion of the Christ? Maybe half of us? Okay. I never know if half of you have seen the movie or if half of you are timid and don't raise your hand. But we're going to assume that half have seen the movie. Mel Gibson was so impressed by this painting that he copied it. At the scene that zooms in really close on Jesus' hand, Mel Gibson's hand reaches out with the nail. It's not a soldier. It's Mel Gibson's hand. He put himself into the film. I was a part of this. I was a part of this. Let's take a look quickly. We're going to do this real fast at the thief on the cross. Two texts, one in Matthew and one in Luke to help give us the full picture. Matthew 27. Let's go there real quick. Matthew 27. Let's start at verse 39. Matthew 27, 39. We're going to pick up two quick details about the thief of the cross. One that only Matthew says and then one that only Luke says. And then we're going to ask ourselves a question because of this. Verse uh, Verse 39. So they've just crucified Jesus. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from that cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he's the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now and we will believe in him. See how that we don't get it? He needs to stay on that cross to be the king of Israel. But we think he's supposed to save himself. We think he's supposed to be selfish like us. We don't get it. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Verse 44, and this is the key text. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. How many thieves? Thieves is the older English. It's, it's more like a revolutionary, an insurrectionist fighting against the Roman government. How many are crucified with Jesus that day? Two, one on either side. That's what the texts tell us. Okay, they both mocked Jesus too. Did we catch that detail? We got it? All right, now over to Luke 23. We need to see something else real quick. Luke 23, we're going to pick it up at 39. 23, 39, where we're going to see one little detail that the other gospel writers didn't include. This is interesting. So at some point, they're on the cross a total of six hours. At some point, both insurrectionists were mocking Jesus. But at some point later, something changes. Verse 39, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even while you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Whoa. So one gospel writer lets us know there's a point where both insurrectionists are in a spiritual place of opposition, mocking God. And later, we don't know if it's 30 minutes later, we don't know if it's the three hours right before, it's about to say at noon and darkness fell across. So at some point in about three hours time period, somebody hanging there on Jesus, uh, on the cross next to Jesus, not for any physical reasons because they're both suffering the same death, both of these insurrections are suffering the same death, seeing the same things physically, 
but spiritually, one of them goes in a different direction than the other. If you ever needed evidence that salvation is not from the good things that you do, take a look at the testimony of a man whose hands were nailed down. He couldn't do anything for God. He couldn't do anything. He could not give money. He could not go on a mission trip. He could not join a Sunday school class. He couldn't love and serve others. He could do nothing. And yet... He decides, I am guilty, he is not. So much. Now, we might miss this. As, as people who are, who are living in 21st century democracy, we don't do king language an awful lot. He just said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What is he saying about Jesus? Oh, my goodness. You don't come into your kingdom unless you're a king. And of everybody in these two little texts... There's one person who seems to get it by the mercy of God. I have been crucified next to a king. He's the king of Israel because he's choosing to stay on his cross. Not because he can't get himself off of it. Also, and we're not going to read it because it would take too much time, but if you're familiar with the Bible, Acts 9, we see the conversion of Saul of Tarsus who was an active enemy of God, killing Christians because he believes this is a false Messiah, and Jesus saves him as well. So here's what I'm trying to, to bring to, if you're familiar with the story of Saul, let me ask you this as a trivia question, and you kind of you already know the answer. Was Saul killing Christians or was he making Christians? Well, it depends on which part of your life you're talking about, his life you're talking about, Right? When he believes Jesus is not Messiah, he's persecuting the church. When Jesus saves him, he's sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth, trying to propagate this gospel and, and, and this faith. So Saul can be both. He can be both. I have blood on my hands. I am a sinner. I am a rebel. I am a child. I'm a son of Adam, right? If you're familiar with Romans 5, I'm a, or is it 6? Somewhere in there. I participated fully in the death of God. My sin necessitated this. We were going to be high and dry if Jesus didn't come and sacrifice himself for us. And yet now I am something else. This original crowd before the cross that we're seeing right here in John 10, their responses at the end of the text like a lot of the ends of each of these stories, is to believe in him or to work toward his death, right? Because he hasn't died yet. We here on this side of the cross of Christ, we're a part of both, potentially. All of us have blood on our hands. Our sins necessitated the cross being what it is. And we've got to decide, I've done the killing part. Will I do the trust part? Can we agree that that is godlike love if you kill my son and I'll still let you into relationship and I'll forgive you? Is that a big deal? But the king of the universe has said, you killed my son, I'm going to invite you back into relationship and just to prove my glory and beauty and manifold wisdom, it's the killing of my son that allows you to be invited back in. He washed away your sins for you if you want it. So let's put this principle to work. If you love Jesus, meditate on the cross every single day, Christian. Every single day. This act will fill your heart with grace. Jesus once told a story of how God the Father was furious and angry with a servant because he'd forgiven him millions of dollars, but then he couldn't turn around and forgive his friend 30 bucks. We are gracious to ourselves, more importantly, to each other. When we first drink in huge volumes of the grace and mercy of God, right? Jesus had to go to a cross to wash away my sin, so I'm going to be a little bit nicer to you when I feel hurt by you. Right? 
If your offense toward me is bigger than my offense to God, then who's really God? Back to this same old issue. I think I'm a really big deal. If you sin against me and that's the ultimate treason in the universe, I think I'm God. Holy cow. This is why we open the Bible, brothers and sisters. We might think we're God and we need something or someone to remind us. This is why we stay in relationship with each other, join a group or a class and go into relationship deeply and honestly with each other. Where we say things like, would you please speak into my life if you didn't like the way I spoke to my wife right there, if that was disrespectful, brother, would you please tell me? We're in a culture that will so quickly burn a bridge and leave any semblance of relationship. We'll leave it so fast if somebody tells us the truth. Our pride isn't ready for it. But can we be a little bit more ready for it if we proactively give brothers and sisters permission? Yeah, that one wasn't rhetorical. We're absolutely preparing our hearts in humility, right? We can be gracious with each other. It is a relatively small offense compared to what I have done to the Most High. And he forgave me of this much, so I can forgive you of this much. Brothers and sisters, meditate on the cross of Christ when you get up. And when you lie down, see, the thing is about uh, the 119th Psalm and some other places where uh, David is meditating on God's law day in and day out. Jesus' holiness and perfection was the fulfillment of all the righteousness of God. The law would crush you and crush me if it was just us versus the law. So to fully obey the commands and the ethos, really, of those psalms. We're not just looking back at the rules from the the Ten Commandments and enjoying them. You and I couldn't enjoy the Ten Commandments because we can't fulfill them. They would crush us. When we meditate on God's law, we're not just doing what David did. Oh, God's commands to me are a blessing. They are, but we have to do it with the cross in sight. The cross is the only thing that gives us hope. Jesus was holy for me. He lived out the perfection of the law for me. If you're new, here's the bad news. You've participated in killing Jesus. Aren't you so glad you came to church today? Somebody's got to tell you. It's just like Olaf singing that entire song about how excited he is for summer. And there are two people standing there. No, he's a snowman, and he's going to melt when summer gets here. And somebody's got to tell him. Somebody has got to tell him. Okay? Nobody likes being the bearer of bad news. But in Christianity, the bad news is really exciting because the very next sentence is very, very good news. You have already participated in killing Jesus. You have. If any part of your heart has said, God, I'm smarter than you, I've got this, I can do this without you, I'm going to do life on my own, and we've all done that. We've all participated in the killing of Jesus. Now that we've covered that, or if you can accept that, truthfully, if you can accept that, if you can accept God's premise of what he said about you ethically, morally, what he said about me, what are we going to do now? He offers mercy. What are we going to do with mercy No one likes to find out that you are at war. Another country sends a delegation and says, we're offering peace. We're sitting there going, are we in a war? Do you know why people in the United States and in comfortable, wealthy countries don't come to Jesus? Are we in a war? Yeah. You've been at war with God since the moment you were conceived. And it explains a lot of the brokenness of this world. And he is offering peace to you right now, today, through the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. Those of you who've already received that mercy, he's inviting us to walk in it, to live it out. Live out the mercy of God. But if you're kicking the tires of the Christian faith, Jesus has not given up on you. He has not thrown you into hell for what you've done. He has extended mercy and grace to all humanity, whoever would receive it. 
So if Jesus is calling to you today, saying, look, you you get to decide. People are always going to decide. Jesus is saying to you today, there's killing God and there's worshiping God. The bad news is you've already killed me. The good news is I'm still offering you a pathway forward to be in right relationship. That's amazing news. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Response time. Musicians, if you guys would uh, come up here and help us, I'd appreciate it. It is absolutely critical that we take a little bit of purposeful time to say, Lord, what did you say to me today through the text? What did you say to me through your Holy Spirit? Um, I, I want to say on repeat, if you walk away, if I walk away unchanged by the word of God, whether that's a Tuesday morning quiet time or that's a Thursday night Bible study or it's Sunday morning, if we walk away unchanged, God did not get his glory. We did not get the blessing or the joy, and our city and our world did not benefit. Right? We weren't disciples. We didn't follow. We just listened and we did nothing. So this period is really, really, really critical. Where I'd ask you to take a deep breath and fight against all of the distraction of the enemy right now that would love your brain to be anywhere else than obeying God. And we're going to spend a few moments responding to him, we've got to, every one of us, we've got to answer this question. So we're going to leave this up here on the screen for a few moments, and I'll be back in a minute to share a few things going on in the life of our church. want an almost guarantee 
of being able to take your next step of obedience. Almost a guarantee. Take the answer that you have in your heart right now or maybe written down in the margin of your Bible and share that answer with your disciple group or Bible study. They'll help you. They'll encourage you. They'll pray for you. A couple things we'd like to share in the life of our church. Just a reminder, um, <clears throat> I sent out an email, I believe, Thursday that has the registration link for a blood drive that's going to be right here in this room on Tuesday from 2 to 6.30. This is a great time, uh, a great way to serve in a practical way because of the shortages of donated blood uh, in our healthcare system right now. Uh, so please um, do that if you are able. Uh, it's a great way also to open our doors to the community and to say that we care. Amen? All right. Uh, then, uh, oh, my eyes are darting. Miss Sherry. Uh, Miss Sherry is our director of Kids Adventure. Would you guys please give her an ARCF? We love you for her administration of our kids' ministry. She's going to share a bit about um, Bible Day Camp. And then, Miss Sherry, if you'd pass off the mic to uh, Melissa and Jeremy after you're done. appreciate the opportunity to come and share just a little bit. Uh, we are excited to have Bible Day Camp back on the church calendar. Um, last year there were, <laughs> I'll admit there were a few tears last year when we had to pull the plug at the last minute. Okay, maybe a lot of tears. Melissa's nodding her head. <laughs> I was not happy. Um, but I've had a lot of time to pray about that and you know, there aren't a lot of things that are open for our kids right now. And so we have the opportunity to invite our city to come and join us. Um, the theme is Rocky Railway. Jesus' power pulls us through. There is a different theme each day. Um, one is Jesus' power gives us hope. Jesus' power lets us live forever. We talk about Jesus' death and resurrection. And so there's, like I said, one for each day. The only way we can make Bible Day Camp work is if we have volunteers to help. Because we will have to turn away people from our community if we don't have enough people here. And that would make me cry even more than I cried last year. Um, so I'm going to put a sign up out on the back table in two weeks. Um, so think about it, pray about it. There's all kinds of opportunities. You don't have to be a Bible teacher. You can help with games. You can do registration. You can help fix lunch. Uh, so many different things. So um, just think about it and pray about it. Ask the Lord where he would have you help. And um, I know from years past when I've been involved in things like this, the kids love it, but I get such a blessing from doing it and seeing kids' lives changed. You know, if you change a heart when they're young, um, it just saves them so much grief. And so we have that opportunity. So please pray about it, and thank you for letting me chat with you. Melissa and Jeremy. Good morning. I'm usually up here earlier than this. Um, so I'm going to sing. No, I'm kidding. Um, so we're going to talk to you just a little bit briefly. I know that like we're standing between you and leaving, so uh, we'll be brief-ish. Um, so we're uh, going to be facilitating a Financial Peace University um, class. We're not teaching it because we don't know everything. We leave that to the professionals that will be facilitating it. Um, normally we would have like a video for you, but I really just wanted to share with you my experience with it. Um, a couple of years ago, um, August of 2019, which seems like 10 years ago, um, we were having another, a class here facilitated by Pastor Greg, and I was secretly hoping that my husband didn't notice that that was happening, um, because I didn't want to go at all. Um, but, you know, he does announcements, so... Um, he noticed, and um, 
So we discussed it, and he really still wanted to go. He was going to go regardless if I was going. Um, I thought it was really important that um, it's really important to me that he and I be on the same page uh, with finances. I think that that is just such an important thing. So I um, allowed him to drag me to the class um, because I just really, I knew, I knew what the class was going to be. It was going to be someone telling me what I shouldn't spend my money on. Um, I'd been in finance for 13 years, and I'm like, I know money. We're good. Um, but so I, I went there knowing, in my head, knowing exactly what it was going to be like, and um, it wasn't that at all. Um, it was, <laughs> after a few classes, it was like, oh, this is actually about freedom. Um, it's actually about wanting um, to give us the tools that we need to um, make goals that we never thought were possible financially. Um, there are things that, that we've talked about as a couple that we're like, oh, we'll just always be in debt with that. We'll always, we'll always have this bill. We'll always do this. Um, and this class has actually allowed us to go, actually, we don't need to always be having this debt. Um, now, we're not there yet by any stretch, but we have talked about our goals. We've talked about what we want our long-term goal to be, which is really allowing ourselves to not have that monthly thing, those commitments that we always have to give to somebody else, and that we can actually use that in a future time, not now because we still have some of those bills, but a future time to help out people, to be generous with people, um, to use our money for God's kingdom. Um, and we're kind of, when you're in debt, you're kind of tied down to your debt. So um, that's what the class is about. If you're like me and you heard, you know, Financial Peace University, it's like, oh, they're going to tell me how to budget. And yes, they do tell us how to budget, but budget's actually freedom. Um, one of the things that they say a lot is if you don't tell your money where to go, you'll wonder where it went. <laughs> so anyway, that's my spiel. Here's this guy. Um, <clears throat> if you are just starting out with, you know, you're fresh out of high school, college, you're just getting going. Um, or whether you are even getting close to retirement, please, I want to encourage you to sign up for this class. Um, the information, if you're here, is in your bulletin. Um, you've seen the slides online. It's on Facebook. Um, you can go to fpu.com forward slash 113-2399. That is the link to sign up for our class. It starts on March 2nd. Uh, it'll run for, I think, eight weeks, uh, eight to nine weeks, Tuesday nights, 6.30 p.m., um, room one over in the Pringle building. Um, I want to encourage you though, if, if you have, if you do have, you find yourself wondering where all your money has gone at the end of the month, I want to encourage you to look at all your monthly payments that you're making for all of your consumer debt. And I want you to add all that up. And I want you to take a look at that number. And I want you to ask yourself, what could I do with this to help advance the kingdom of God each month? If you have a couple thousand dollars left over at the end of the month, imagine saving that up for a couple of months. And I'll use one of Dave Ramsey's examples. That's a used car for a single mother who's struggling. Or maybe that's a thousand dollar tip for someone who's serving you at your favorite local restaurant. Imagine seeing the smile and the brightness and just making their day. So imagine what you could do with that and bless someone else in your life. So I really, really do want to encourage you to sign up. If you have any questions, please come see Melissa or myself. You can also email the office, call the office. Uh, you can email or call me. Um, we do have some posters around um, on the doors. You can uh, find that, and you'll find uh, my phone number on there. And, uh, again, if you have any questions, we would love to see you there. All right, so I'm going to pray for us so we can go. Lord Jesus, God, we thank you so much for what you've done here this morning. Um, you're just constantly working in our, our lives and in our hearts. And uh, Lord, I pray right now for uh, this family, uh, for our community, for our nation, uh, for our world, Lord, that um, you just continue to open doors and open hearts and minds uh, that we might be the light for you. God, we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.